from the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to oh, live. The dumbest fucking questions. Yeah. I'm like, come on. We're live in New York City right now. We'll just say downtown in the Chelsea area. Talking to Valon from Valon, thanks for being here. Uh, outdoors, raining, cold. It's New York at its finest. And of course, you, you made the film um, uh, The Dirty Kind. And uh, The Dirty Kind has a theatrical release coming up in LA. And you're really excited about that, as you should be. Uh, I'm excited for you. It's in May, May 2nd. It uh, begins where? In Santa Monica at the Monica Film Center. And then uh, at the Lemley Music Hall in uh, Beverly Hills. Fantastic. And I just want to say, New York became shitty just in time for it to become sexy on screen again. So I'm very excited about that. Hey, uh, that's great. Yeah. And, and, and I think the movie you made has a lot of that kind of grit mm-hmm. without having any pretension whatsoever. Yeah. It doesn't uh, try to take you back to another time or anything. Uh, let me ask you this. You remember the, the murder that happened? Uh, boy, this is uh, several years ago now. In fact, it was January 3rd, 2014, in the snow. Menachem, uh, oh my God, what's his last name? Menachem Stark. Mm-hmm. And he appeared on the post. They had his photo. He was dead. And, and they had the wood, gigantic letters, who didn't want him dead. Menachem Stark. It was very offensive to the Jewish community. Yeah. His family didn't want him dead. Yeah. His friends didn't want him dead. And maybe a couple of his business associates who, you know, were involved didn't want him dead either. His trial continues. Uh, the two brothers accused in that murder uh, were texting about it, sharing the post coverage. Of course, this is the post covering this. They love to, uh, you know, hey, people are talking about us, right? So uh, he, he texted it. Now, these guys are Kendall Felix and uh, Erksine Felix. And uh, this is at the trial on Tuesday. New York Post has it. Reads one text from Kendall, sent January 3rd, 2014. Mere hours uh, after Erksine and their cousin Kendall Felix. So this is the Felix brothers and cousin. uh, Allegedly wrestled Stark into a car in Williamsburg, killing him in the process. A really gruesome way to die. They sat on his chest squeeze the air out of his lungs. I've never seen anybody fight like that guy did, though. I don't know if you saw the video. I didn't, uh, but just going back to the who didn't want him dead, I mean, there's people who I've wanted dead, but not sort of like gangland slayings. Uh, I mean, we, we live in a country, hopefully, of uh, law and order, and when you remove that process, it becomes very dangerous. <laughs> sure so does, when, very quickly. Yeah, so when you start saying who didn't want him dead, it sort of says, well, okay, the line has been moved, you know, this now becomes acceptable. If someone's a piece of shit, then it's cool if they get whacked in the middle of the street. Uh, and, I think, uh, I think uh, the, the, uh, maybe the, what they were trying to get across with that headline, and maybe they didn't get across very well, was that where do we begin to find a suspect here? Yeah. There was, uh, there's so many people to look at. It was certainly in bad taste, but the Post has never been accused of uh, avoiding bad taste. I a- can't argue too times. much with the Post uh, ever since, uh, what was it, uh, Topless Dancer Missing Head? <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe it was uh, it was uh, Headless Body Found in Topless Bar. Yes, there, there we go. That's, yeah. that's classic. I uh, forget the name of that guy. My wife was working at the Post when he was still there. She knew that guy. Uh, before he got relegated just to movie reviews and stuff like that. Or maybe he was at that point. I don't know. Great guy. And, uh, you know, autographed something for her and stuff. And, and that's a memory she has now. That guy was so excited about that headline. He had to confirm that it was, is it actually a topless bar? It had to be a topless bar. If it was a nude dancing place with something else, it had to be a topless bar. That's like 
that's the kind of attention to detail and um, what you might call, uh, I don't know, like like true journalistic integrity that you don't always see now. Well, he understood it. News is still entertainment. Right. You know, Citizen Kane came out a hell of a long time ago. News is still entertainment. And he was selling a story that otherwise might not have been that interesting. Mm. Not that interesting to a city that sees this shit every single fucking day. Well, good point. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it made it a cover story. Uh, I mean, like, arguably, a headless body in a topless bar. Yeah. It's still a pretty big deal for most places. And even in New York, you have a headless body someplace. The whole story, as I recall, uh, there was some sort of a... Uh, guy was a robber and he came into this uh, topless bar and he ended up holding the whole bar kind of like hostage and shit and uh, somebody wound up with their head cut off so uh, pretty treacherous moment in those people's lives you know like, think about the the uh, like like if you have a hit and run thing right say you get hit by a car and they drive away that's going to define you for years you know you're going to be terrified it should define seeing, you for the rest of your life seeing somebody getting their head cut off you know, I mean, like, it's, uh, we, we're pretty blasé about it, but Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, at, at any rate, now, Menachem Stark was pretty, uh, what you would call, um, he was a slumlord. He's very rich. He, he had a habit of not paying contractors, and that's what eventually got him. These guys were paid by, I believe, a contractor who he hadn't paid, who he owed, like, you know, probably twenty or $30,000 or something like that. And the guy was fed up. And I can't say it's good to kill somebody, and I, but I can say I understand that kind of anger when you're that powerless. You ever have a landlord who owes you a deposit and, yeah. and doesn't want to pay you? They are fucking invisible and, and impossible to get to. You can't just show up where they are. It's just like it can't be done. Uh, I think that they must have just, like, it's it's beyond business at that point. There's a personal factor there. What, what I find interesting about this case, and a lot like them, because I go back to movies, a movie like Fargo at the end, where it says, for a little bit of money. You know, that whole movie sort of spun out over a little bit of money, and that's yeah. my movie also. I made sure that it was a little bit of money that sort of caused all this to happen. And because the fact of the matter is, over twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, people are going to go to jail for life, maybe, you know. Lives are ruined. Someone's dead, and ultimately, for what twenty, thirty thousand dollars, you know how much? How much is life worth? And and it's really crazy. Well, I'm sure that you know, Menachem Stark would have gladly paid twenty, thirty thousand dollars and still been alive. So he must not have imagined that it could ever, ever escalate to that. What and, happened to breaking uh, someone's legs? Wasn't that a thing? <laughs> Like you break someone's legs, then they get the message. They're like, oh, so for $20,000, you are not going to break anything else. I get it. Well, the thing is, they didn't intend to kill him. You know, they just intended to, like, you know, hold mm -hmm. him until they got the money. It wasn't supposed to be a murder, but the guy fought so hard, and he was so... You know how, like, Eric Garner died resisting arrest? Mm -hmm. It happens. This guy, they in, in trying to restrain him and sit on his chest... They, they just crushed him. They put well, too much weight on it. Well, it's what I feel. Every profession has a certain level of incompetence in it. <laughs> so when you're hiring hitmen, you got to make sure, you know, you're not hiring the dumbass hitmen. You, yeah, you or gotta, just when you're hiring muscle. That interview muscle. process needs at least another callback, you know? Yeah, you, you, you got a good point. You know, and it's probably one of those things where you're limited to your resources, you know? Like, how many of these guys do you know? Do you How many do you want to know? And how well do you want to know them? There's probably... Uh, 
a bureaucratic kind of incompetence that comes in. We're like, well, I'm hiring him for this guy, uh, so do, do your best. You know, try not to kill him. It's really important to to one of the other parties, obviously. What's not as resume? important to the middleman. Huh? What's, what's their resume? Like, you know, yeah, show right. you who have you whacked before. You know, I want to see a list of people. I think it's mostly just standing there, pounding your fist into your palm. You know, I'm, <laughs> you take out your switchblade. You look mean enough. To, okay, yeah, what tracksuits do you own? You know, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, and I guess you know, if you've done a little time, that probably helps. That, that's that's sort of a resume too. If you've done a little time in prison, uh, you know, been locked up in jail, uh, now prison reform. They're trying to let people out a lot quicker. Uh, some of the big cities now are, are getting people turned out a, a lot faster. It's a new country. These texts also, uh, you know, they uh, they talked about uh, cleaning up the evidence as well. So uh, no one saw Goodfellas. I had, had, had to clean this shit. You're you never right. talk on the phone. Don't don't and, don't text your crime. What are uh, you doing? They deleted the text, and they're still recoverable, of course, for the police. And uh, that's. That's a revelation in itself, right? I mean, like, if you think you're being smart, uh, they can always... I guess if there's a murder, they'll go a little bit further than if you're talking about, like, uh, buying some uh, prescription pills or something. Uh, he had previously told cops they planned to kidnap him uh, because he owed them money for construction work. Uh, Kendall was convicted in 2016, awaiting sentence, uh, sentencing, and Kendall Felix admitted earlier this year to dousing his body, and here's how they got rid of it, with an accelerant. They burned him and uh, set it on fire inside a gas station dumpster, which is pretty fucking visible. Yeah. Pretty easy to smell. It was out on the island, but, you know, someone's going to notice that. Why not? It, it, you can, I guess, you know, Monday morning quarterback, getting rid of a body all the time. Uh, moving a body is a relatively small offense. You know, it was a misdemeanor until just yeah. a couple of years ago, I believe. But... Uh, setting a body on fire, destroying a corpse—that might be, that might be somewhat more of a of a uh, of a crime. Obviously, it's connected to a murder in this case, uh, and they were—I guess—they're able to sell that. It, they're still on trial. Who knows? Maybe the—I bet you—they won't get very much time. The one guy who admitted to dousing it, sentenced last week, two and a half to seven years behind bars. Jesus. So uh, Kendall is—he's uh, one of the main guys. You know, there's the two brothers, and then they called the cousin, and they're like, hey, man, you got to help us out. And so I think that he'll get a lighter sentence even than that, I would think, you know, because he's uninvolved in the actual uh, abduction, I don't think. It was in the snow. This guy fights. He's like a real, like, uh, Hasidic type of a Jew, yeah. you know? I mean, oh, like fighters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're survivors, you yeah. know? And it, it's amazing to me that they managed to, uh, to actually get him in it, because, I mean, like, this guy... There's at least two guys, if not three, trying to like get him into this van, and he's just like, I mean, I hate to say it, it's it's when you take it out of the situation of it being like, oh, this is a, a life or death struggle for this guy, shit, you know, whatever. But like just looking at it, it's comical. It rather looks like oh, yeah. the Three Stooges, you know, kind kind of a scene because it goes on and on and on. It's like a silent movie. Um, are you aware of this uh, murder that uh, that has taken place down in Staten Island, the Forgotten Borough? A woman, first grade teacher, 29 years old. I, I guess it's her second marriage, mother of three. And she was missing since Saturday. Her uh, husband, estranged husband, served with divorce papers. He admitted to police he punched her in the face on Wednesday. 
And uh, it looks as if, yeah, because her body, and I only bring it up because her charred and unidentifiable remains were found in a storage unit yesterday. So this guy put it in a storage unit, and I thought, who the fuck stores their dead bodies? You know what I mean? Like, why not? Well, in his defense, what else do you store? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What do people keep at a storage unit if it's not bodies or cocaine? It's shit that they can't let go of. <laughs> you know, like, but that couch is really nice. We don't have room for it here. He just couldn't let go of her. You know, Can yeah. I make that joke? Is it too soon? I don't, no, I don't no, know. it's never too soon. If it's not too soon, it's too late. <laughs> You know, uh, there's, uh, couples move in together in New York City all the time. And I think a lot of people go, well, it's probably not going to work out. I'm going to keep my bed uh, over in the storage unit here. And a lot of times it doesn't work out. So, they're hey, they're smart. But uh, since the woman's dead anyway, so whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a shame. Anytime somebody gets murdered, uh, especially just, you know, like, and this is what I was telling Mandy Satmiller earlier about this. And, and see if you agree. When, when a guy gets, because she's like, why do guys do this? And I'm like, well... When a man wants to kill his wife, he kills her. A woman kills her husband slowly over a course of years just by being around and talking to him and asking things of him and asking him to speculate on things that'll never occur and, and like just generally being frustrating. Like, you're about to have sex, and she's like, I'm going to get a drink. I'm gonna, and then she comes back with a fucking snack. Women always have to piss right before you fuck. Women always have to uh, tell you, like, don't put your asshole finger, the finger you got in my ass, don't put that in my pussy now. It's like, I've done this before. Well, well, I'll say, if you're about to have sex and your wife comes to bed with a snack, that's not a bad situation you got over there. (laughs) I didn't say she's sharing. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. There are worse problems. What about the fuck? There's There's a grilled cheese sandwich. There's worse problems that you could have, I suppose, you know, Uh, and and, and in the end, not so bad. But if she comes back with another guy, then you got a problem. Yeah, but I'm also thinking, like, hey, you know, I'm already here. You say you're going to go away, you're thirsty or some shit. Can you put that on hold for another 45 seconds? We can wrap this thing up. We have a different clock in bed. That is very true. Like, how long do you think this is going to go on? You won't be dying of thirst, trust me. You'll be fine. You'll survive. So, uh, oh, hey, how are you? Sorry to... Okay. Um, so, I yeah, why, why do men kill quickly? I don't know, because... I mean, one of my favorite shows is Cops. I'm just going to let... Uh, yeah. Whatever this uh, catastrophe has passed by. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, 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 Cops was one of my favorite shows, still is. And uh, for... a long period it was nothing but domestic dispute and i could never understand that situation just beating the hell out of each other and, and the murder and you see it in the news a lot and we sort of become desensitized to it you know when crime goes up like this mm-hmm. so it's tough for me to even understand the concept of what is in this guy's head who might not be a murderer it's not like some you know career murderer who's like oh i'm just tired of her she's gonna be next on my list to all of a sudden become a killer yeah. and kill this, you know, their spouse or right. their strange spouse. So I, I don't know. And it clearly wasn't a crime of passion, I don't feel, because he obviously had to come back. He, you know, had the storage unit already in advance. I don't think he rented it with her in the car. You know? Well, he lived in Queens. Oh, he got to throw Queens under the bus here? <laughs> he lived in Queens, but the storage unit was in Staten Island. I think that maybe... Staten Island is a storage unit. In anticipation <laughs> of... Uh, you know, and, and that fits it being the forgotten borough and everything. All that shit you forgot about in that storage unit. It could be a thing where, in the process of breaking up, 
you know, they had a storage unit. Maybe he rented it on the, I mean, I don't know. It would be in the middle of the night on a Sunday. I believe that was when he actually did the, uh, did the deed. She hadn't, she wasn't seen, uh, since Saturday night. She went to, uh, pick up the kids. Didn't show up. That's weird. She didn't show up at work and shit like that. So why did he kill her? I think it was a crime of passion. Yeah. But I think it was, and, That's some fucking asshole having a heart attack across town. Uh, it's it's when you say crime of passion, usually you're thinking like something just immediately enrages yeah. you. You see red. Yeah. I think that there's a longer version of that, you know, where things are smoldering forever, and then you get a spark, and then, you know, I mean, like it, it happens. You know, the guy uh, didn't want his kids taken away, and it's such a huge thing because you know they had two kids together and then there was one from another marriage he probably cared a little less about but and that's another thing I don't understand why are guys so determined not to lose their kids I'd be like take the kids go I never want to see you again or the kids (laughs) sign here I won't bother you but if you want to fight me on this and you want money we'll fucking go to court at storage unit could have been a bachelor everything's coming out yeah right with that couch he loved so much (laughs) I just don't, uh, I, I think that it must have been something like that. I think that, like, it's probably, well, they had eight domestics between them. She was responsible for one. He was arrested, I guess, or, or whatever, responsible in seven. So, uh, you know, she was 120 pounds, 4'11", and this guy standing next to her looks like OJ. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's just a... He could have, uh, you know, if he punched her in the face already and he owned up to that, he could have punched her to death. You see the movie The Killer uh, Inside Me? Yeah. The the, the recent one with uh, Casey Affleck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you remember how he punches her and punches her and punches yeah. her? It's really fucking incredible. Well, that's... And that's something that goes back to not just fights, but they talk about, like, uh, cops, why do they shoot so many bullets a whole clip? When you're in that sort of act, it's sort of just reflexive. I mean, I don't know if if anyone's ever been in a fight. When you start throwing a punch, you just keep punching. Yeah. So, but that's why I said I don't understand, you know, to throw that first punch at your wife. Right. What does it take to throw that first punch to sort of cross that line and say, I'm going to physically hurt you in, in such a way? And, I mean, I'm fascinated, not in a way, obviously, I think it's disgusting, I think it's the worst of humanity, but as a filmmaker, you write about characters, and I'm fascinated about what is in this guy's head. You've never wanted to punch your wife or generically, you know, a girl in your life. To actually punch them? No, but I have wanted to punch, I've punched a hole in a wall. Well, then you've wanted to punch them, obviously. No, it wasn't about them. It's wanting to get that frustration out, but even then I knew I didn't want to get it out against them. Well, you don't want to go to jail. No, it wasn't that. I just knew. (laughs) I just knew I didn't want, because there's something about knowing you're bigger, you're stronger, and and I'm not saying, oh, if you're not bigger or stronger, you can punch your wife or spouse or whatever, Right. but you're saying because I'm in that situation, it's there's just something in my mind that knows it's sort of like you know you wouldn't kill a bunny rabbit you know you have that power to crush a small little bunny rabbit but you're not going to do it because you know not to use that power against it and it's that sort of responsibility to know you know i mean i I feel crazy that you even have to say this don't punch your wife well the bunny rabbit didn't just say 
I'm taking away your fucking kids, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it, faggot. You know, when I think that I haven't been in that situation, yeah, right, so right, 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 right. Yeah, but, but I think the talking bunny situation. Me differently also, right. you know, so. Yeah, and the animals too. You know, yeah. you gotta be, you gotta choose the right animals. Yeah. I don't think uh, there's uh, no, there's no, there's no question when someone gets that angry. What it is, uh, it's a feeling of. Uh, being made powerless, being dominated by yeah. somebody sometimes in some kind of a, like in a legal sense, you know, she probably held all the cards and, yeah. and she probably very likely would mm-hmm. get the kids if she wanted them it, with very little visitation. She could turn them against uh, him. I mean, like the mother ha- kind of has a lot of power in a divorce with all those domestics and shit like that. It's not going to be an issue. So uh, my theory is she, you know, had just served in divorce papers and he was like no you're not going to do this you're not going to take my kids away usually they won't say I can't live without you oh my god it's like my kids but it's not just his kids it's his whole life it's his sense of who he is he identifies with being a father even if he's a shitty dad and a shitty husband you know he thinks of himself as a good one we all think we're good yeah so that that's my theory is that she was ripping the goodness no, right no, out of him. I get what you're saying, and that's sort of my fascination of knowing what makes a person turn, what makes a person switch and cross that line, because at one point in life he was in the murderer, and then he he became a murderer, and we don't all do that. Even people who've been in similar situations don't do that. And not all of us. So what is it in his mind that allowed that switch to happen? And it's something I want to know just, you know, as, as any writer, you sort of become an anthropologist, a sociologist. Yeah, I And, see. you know, I'd love to talk to these people. I, I think they're horrible, scum human beings. Yeah. You know, just based off of what you told me. I obviously don't know the full story. If you, alone, do, yeah. if you do talk to them, I wouldn't lead with that part about the scum. <laughs> yeah. You're a scum human being. By the way, how do the Jets do? <laughs> By the way, uh, your childhood, tell me about it. And I guess that's where it starts. It's yeah. in childhood. Uh, it, there's something about a woman uh, when you're in a deep relationship with somebody, it could trigger you. And uh, he he was just the that mm-hmm. ultimate trigger. He he pulled it, yeah. you know. And, well, and, then and it's a that, recklessness involved too. There's that show. I'm still waiting for season two on Netflix uh, that David Fincher started, uh, Mindhunter, about the birth of forensics uh, science in, uh, in the FBI. Yeah, where they start sort of under trying to understand what makes a serial killer talk to them figure out you know what creates this pattern what's the psychology behind it and and you know this person isn't necessarily a serial killer and that's where I'm interested in not the person who's going to go out and kill 30 people for the for the game of it right but the person who could just be a regular person and then becomes a murderer and now this this guy's life is over you know her life is most definitely over. Certainly over, Those yeah. kids' lives, you know, I don't want to say they're over, but they will forever be affected by this. Right. So what is it? What's that second that changes everything for everyone? And plus, her first husband's going to have to take those kids now, probably, you know? I mean, like, if she doesn't have any family. Well, he uh, probably has space in his storage yeah. unit, you know? So. <laughs> they can live in the storage yeah. unit. The least we can do for them. They're under care of uh, child services and stuff right now. Um, all right, well, to shift topics... Uh, but it is fascinating. Uh, did you uh, happen to see the story about uh, Eric Garner that came out today? No. Well, you know, they've always said this chokehold killed him. Uh, the cops did an illegal chokehold. They did, uh, and it was never, they said that. It wasn't actually illegal. But this is, you know, to, to mm-hmm. parrot what has been said about it. 
Uh, this is back in 2014. Of course, Eric Garner selling Lucy's in Staten Island. They attempted to arrest him. They negotiated for about, I don't know, eight minutes or so before they made a move. And finally, they're like, well, we have to do this. So, because uh, you can't just, like, go away when somebody says, hey, you know, uh, yeah. I don't want to go to jail. I bet you don't. But we have to take you. No matter yeah. how big they are, the police have to be bigger. Turns out, in December of that year, 2014, the, uh, the chief, I guess, uh, surgeon of the NYPD, which I didn't even know there was one, but apparently there is, ruled that, no, it wasn't a chokehold. There was no damage to the windpipe, the trachea. There was no uh, injury that always would correspond with the chokehold. There was no chokehold. And if you remember, the medical examiner's report on that story, I don't know if you followed this crime as mm-hmm. carefully as I do, but the medical examiner's report, it said, you know, it's a homicide, which we all nobody disagrees with, and he just put in parentheses, chokehold. Okay, so that was added in for de Blasio so that he could, you know, sensationalize the whole thing and galvanize the city, uh, you know, behind him, Mm -hmm. especially in certain communities. Now, it looks like Dan Pantaleo might have a pretty good chance of, you know, coming up good in his uh, departmental trial. Well, the thing about that trial is, and that no one really talked about, was people said over a harmless crime. And I think that gets thrown around too loosely because it wasn't harmless to the store that he was selling the Lucy's in front of. No. You know, they made money selling cigarettes. He was taking money away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money they made by selling cigarettes, a lot of tax money went to New York City. New York City has the highest taxes on cigarettes, I think. Oh, yeah, it's got to be. So, Can't you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily a harmless crime. You're talking about you know, tax evasion, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people say it's harmless because he wasn't hurting anyone, wasn't violent. But if we start saying harmless crime, then what, what's the level of crime that becomes harmful and harmless? And, and you need to have some sort of semblance of law and order. You yeah. know? And, and I think that's where the mistake uh, in the debate uh, happened. When they refused to admit that the guy was breaking the law and the cops had you know, absolute right to be there and to talk to him and, and to, to arrest him. Yeah, sure. And, and really... His, his big mistake, although it is illegal to sell Lucy's, and, you know, that's obviously an arrestable offense. He'd been arrested for it before. This yeah. wasn't new to him. He had 30 arrests, in his, in, you know, prior. Uh, and, you know, he was on probation at the time, which explains why he was so militant about not going to jail. Because yeah. this is going to be a little worse for him than it would have been normally. Uh, it was resisting. That was really the thing. It's like the, the whole resisting arrest because, like... You know, they're going to put in a certain amount of time trying to, like, you know, just talk it. Come on, man, let's go, you know, and all that kind of shit. And then eventually they have to just get... It's force. That's all you want. You force the situation. It's the way he wanted it. It's not the way the cops wanted it. That's the way he insisted that it go. Well, at that point, it's a different crime. It's resisting arrest. It's resisting arrest. And so, like, yeah, and that, right... I mean, but, you know, I always think it's weird when someone's only crime is resisting arrest. Yeah. That seems strange. But it wasn't that. It was, you know, the other thing, too. So... Asthma killed him, and uh, we we had and and that guy made that statement back in 2014. That was not publicized. I don't know why, but it wasn't. It would have been nice. It might have mitigated some of the fucking. You know, maybe those uh, two officers, uh, you know, Lou and Ramos, wouldn't have been assassinated the way they were. So many things happen. They tie in Ferguson, all that shit. It matters, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is just what happens, the ripple effect of living during volatile times. Mm -hmm. And I think why people are talking about it so much and freaking out so much is because we're no longer used to it. 
I mean, New York has not been the New York of Taxi Driver for so long. Right. Then when we start reverting back to that New York, it's sort of like a surprise, and it shouldn't be. New York can become a dumpster very, very quickly. It certainly is. You yeah, know, for the city, drop dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And that was, it seems like, I mean, I'm, nobody remembers it. Nobody, if, if you're not in your 50s, you don't really mm-hmm. remember that and living in New York. But, yeah, New York was bankrupt. Ford didn't want to help. They laid, They were laying off, like, thousands of officers. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a real shithole, you know? And it was really in danger of, like, you know... The 70s, I, from what I understand, it just felt it was a very free time because, yeah, we can do anything we want. Yeah. You know, it's a, there's a lawless uh, feel Yeah, but when you it, can yeah. do whatever you want, there's people who are going to figure out how to profit off of it. Yeah. And organized crime, you know, the Teflon Don, yeah, they had a parade for him. Everyone loved him. But how many people died because of him? How much money did we spend because of him? Yeah. You know, when you go to a store in the city and something is so expensive, why is it so expensive? Well, because they have to pay crazy rent. Why? Because the building costs so much to make. Why did it cost so much to make? Because the contractors were ripping them off because it was all mafia run. People don't connect the dots of, you know, how everything works and how everything comes together. Yeah. And, and when you do start looking at it that way, then you start realizing, wait, I'm paying $20 for an apple because, you know, some mobster needed to shake down this uh, developer and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's and a reason why we have you're not talking about a fancy laws. Apple phone case. You're yeah. talking about an apple. And, and shit does cost a lot of money. And it's not just the mafia. It's not just crime. It's, no, I'm just it's using the whole, them as a, as a catch. No, yeah. no, great. And it's a great example. Yeah. But then you have the city shake down on top mm-hmm. of that, which is worse. Yeah. You know? I mean, they have all the power of the law behind them to say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, it costs you this much to do this. And then there's a tax on top of that. And it's it's people who come into a restaurant to like inspect for health and shit like that. There's a by the book way that they can do and completely butt fuck you and cost you thousands of dollars just with one visit. Well, you one have to the, fear the government. One of the books I read is research for the dirty kind was the Sammy Gravano, the, the autobiography or the biography, whoever actually wrote it. Right. Where he talks about how they would make money uh, with the unions. And it was interesting because it wasn't leg breaking. It was basically saying either you pay us what we want or we're going to have the union do everything by the books, which means they're going to make sure the tire pressure on your trucks is right. They're going to make sure, you know, everything has to be according to the books. And by the time they're actually able to go to work, they're going to have 20 minutes of work per day. Yeah. You know, the slowdown, the stoppage of work. So it, with it, all the breaks yeah. and all the yeah union mandated shit, yeah. there's no way anything could get done. Exactly. They've ensured that. So uh, now on a different note. Uh, arrestees with tattooed faces, smeared makeup, and uh, gap tooth grins. No longer will they have to fear public humiliation thanks to Cuomo. Cuomo, Cuomo. Yeah, the, a law has come out of Albany uh, now where the uh, the legislation is passed. You can't show mugshots unless there's a good reason for it. It's private. I guess that's, there's something good about that because I, just getting arrested doesn't equate to guilt, but it does once people see a mugshot. I will say, though, I agree with not showing because, like, uh, all these the, the school shootings and all that stuff, they sort of turned people into celebrities. And I think the peak of that was Tsarnaev when uh, the, the Boston bombing, yeah. oh, where he was disgusting. on the cover of Rolling Stone. Disgusting. You start creating sort of celebrities, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 awful. It really is. That's that that's a sick culture. That's what the, you know, the natural born killers thing has actually yeah. occurred. And, uh, you know, uh, Juliette Lewis, man, what about her? She's kind of a dish, huh? Remember her? I enjoyed Cape Fear. Yeah. <laughs> Is she nude in that? No, I think she was a teen. Oh, right. I think she had braces. You know who was sexy when they were younger is Christina Ricci. Yes. 
when she was like 11. Peak sexy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, as we look through the paper today, Nexium cult, sex cult, you're aware, right? It's spelled in a real fucked up way. This woman here, I believe, is the one behind it. Uh, that is, uh, you know, Claire Bronfman, yeah, asking a judge to grant the Seagram's heiress. She's a Seagram's heiress. Uh, she wants a separate trial from the uh, the cult leader. Uh, the cult leader is Keith Rainier, asserting that while prosecutors say uh, Bronfman and Rainier had sex with each other, they can't prove she knew of his alleged sex crimes. This guy would basically take a woman upstate. I don't know if this is an actual cult. It seems like less than wanting their money, they just wanted sex slaves. And if I think if you have that kind of charisma and can turn people into sex slaves, you should have that goddamn right. Well, that's R. Kelly right now. That's the whole thing where it's <laughs> it's just weird. And, you know, because we were talking about earlier, it's sort of like groupies with Led Zeppelin and Van Halen. Yeah, and they, what yeah. they had going on. By the way, it was a lot of kids also. I Yo. think Jimmy Page had like a 14-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, I read and, about that recently. Yeah, and it is sort of like that charm, the cult of personality. And I don't know, like, it's a difficult subject. Is yeah. it a crime? Like, if you're that charming that women just want to be your sex slave, you know? It's like, you have to really look a gift horse in the mouth these days and make sure you're not breaking any laws, it seems. I, I was this close to having a sex cult right before I met my wife. Really? I mean, I was one woman away from kind of hitting the tipping point. I think, th like, if you're one guy, three women, and they're all, like, down to fuck anytime you want to... You, you, you've got sex slaves. I didn't know you had that much money, Pat. <laughs> you would think it would have to be that, right? I'm just that charming. Or at least I was in 2014. That was a big year for me. Uh, right. Well, uh, a kid got rescued on the fucking subway tracks. Isn't that nice? Depressed boy rescued from the tracks, I suppose, after jumping just moments before an express train was set come barreling through the station. The 13-year-old was discovered standing amid two support columns between the Manhattan-bound local and express tracks on downtown uh, Brooklyn Hoyt Street station down there uh, around 9.15 a.m., which is really... Should be a hopeful time in anybody's day. You know what I mean? Right at the beginning yeah. of the day. Uh, well, luckily, MTA train operator, his name's Hopeton Kiffin. He's got hope in his name and shit. Uh, it's nice. This story rushed in, got rid of, got the kid off the tracks. It's the kind of thing you don't see enough of. However, I think it's the kind of thing you don't see much of because when you, when you don't all get that opportunity to be a hero like that. Usually yeah. those guys are driving the trains or run over kids. Yeah. Well, there was that situation where a woman tried to kill herself some years ago, jumped in front of a train. The conductor miraculously stopped the train in time and only broke her arm. Do you remember that? I uh, don't. I don't. It was don't. a crazy situation. Now, the fact that he even stopped the train, the guy deserves a medal. What ended up happening was she sued. I knew it. And won something like $9 million. I knew it. And I find that ridiculous. It's This guy, I mean, he's, he, in my mind, he's the same as the guy who saved uh, the, the people in the plane when he landed in the Hudson Sully, River. Yeah. Yeah. For him to be able to stop that train, to not kill her, yeah. is miraculous. And what's the lesson we took away from this? It's going to cost, you know, the MTA $9 million. It's going to cost the rest of us $9 million because they're not going to pay for it. We're going to end up paying for it somehow or other. Of you course. Know? Everything so. gets more expensive. And it's sounds terrible to say. We would have been better off had he just stepped on the gas. You know? you know, next time you see that happening, you don't stop for that person. Well, yeah, what's the MTA telling him next time, you know? Right. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. asshole. So here we go. Uh it's the same way with cops when they keep a guy from jumping off a building, right? Yeah. And then the next day, he jumps off the same fucking building. 
That's why we need Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon. Jump off with him. Yeah, <laughs> you remember that shit. <laughs> I'm getting if you're going to sue us, shit. make sure it's for something, you know? Right. Uh, all right, Volantro, your movie, The Dirty Kind, and uh, fantastic crime story. Really enjoyed it. It's got some some unusual twists in it. You know, you you did something new, and thank you did you, something you, yeah. old and new, and and uh, people should see it in May in California if you're yeah, in Beverly and Hills. Yeah, and then uh, in May it's gonna after the theatrical run in LA, it's gonna come out on VOD and DVD. We have a distribution. What is, what deal. is VOD? Oh, video on demand. Uh, video on demand. Yeah, got streaming it. online. That's the the this. lingo. The lingo we throw around. I gotta learn this shit. Yeah, so it's gonna be available uh, for people who want to watch it. It's very exciting when you make a movie. Uh, you just want it to get in front of audiences for them to be able to make an opinion. Uh-huh. So, you know, hopefully next month you're all going to be able to tell me how much it sucked or how much you loved it. You know, either way, I'd be very glad to hear your opinion. Hear that? Now, there's a guy who has a democratic attitude. Ears open, mouth shut. You can say what you want. And, you know, I'd love to have you in the studio once you've done everything that you're, that, you know what I mean? Once mm-hmm. you're clear, yeah. bring, the, bring the movie in and we watch it and just go scene by scene, mm-hmm. discuss it, and, uh, you know may not have time for the whole thing, but we could cover quite a bit of ground. The movie is about an hour and 20, hour and a half. It's an hour and a half, yeah. Hour and a half. About an hour and a half. It's a healthy, because it goes by quick. And uh, it goes by quick, I think, because it changes, the mood changes mm-hmm. a lot in it. Yeah. Although there's something cooking the whole time that builds, it, it still like has a, uh, it has a quality. It goes by quick because it's a good movie pet. Yeah, that's the <laughs> easiest thing to say. Volan Trub. Filmmaker, the dirty kind, see it. Thanks for being here, Valon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report.